Good morning. Welcome to Hiawatha Church again. Uh, my name is Spencer. I'm one of the pastors here. And like Emily said, uh, we're very glad that you're here with us this morning, especially if this is uh, your first time or you're uh, just checking us out. Uh, we're very glad that you are here. Uh, like I said, my name is Spencer. And if you don't know, I have a, a beautiful wife, Amy. We've been married uh, almost eight years, uh, coming up this summer. And uh, we have one child, a little two-year-old uh, named Charlie. Last August, after a few months of trying uh, for our second kid, uh, we finally got that plus sign on the pregnancy stick. We were super excited, as, especially as we'd been trying for, for a number of months to get pregnant with our second child and uh, couldn't just help uh, tell some of our closest family and friends that we were going to have another baby. And uh, we went to our first uh, appointment in October. And thinking everything was, was normal, we talked with the midwife for a number of minutes about how Amy was feeling and, and all that kind of stuff, answering questions, and then it was time for us to check for the baby's heartbeat. And after an eternity of waiting, the min- midwife finally gave up and said it was probably just a little bit too early for us to hear it. And actually with our first son, Charlie, we couldn't hear his heartbeat until uh, closer to 12 weeks anyway, and so we thought or we hoped at least that's what it was, we were told to come back and, and get an ultrasound, and that would help us uh, see the heartbeat, see the baby, see how it was progressing, get a due date, etc. So over the next week, uh, my wife Amy began to have uh, more symptoms, showing that something probably was wrong or could be wrong. We finally went in and, and got the ultrasound, and were asked many questions, by the person there yet didn't receive any answers except that the clinic would call us back with the results in a few days. The symptoms continued and we prayed desperately that God would would heal our little baby, that he would save our baby. We asked some of our closest friends and family members to be praying for us, a community group, uh, that Jesus would heal our baby, that the pregnancy would go well. But instead, we got a phone call from the clinic saying that they couldn't find a heartbeat and that we had lost our second child. If you don't know, miscarriages can take, it's not just a one-day thing, they can take up to a few weeks, and it isn't over quickly, and the whole process is pretty horrible, one I, I wouldn't wish on, on anyone. And during these really dark, dark days for our family, maybe the darkest we've ever experienced, we cried out to God asking him why. Why? Why did this evil thing happen? Why didn't God spare our child? Why were Amy and I going through this suffering more painful than anything else we had ever experienced? Maybe you can relate here too. Maybe something evil has happened to you. Maybe you've gone through great uh, pain or suffering throughout your life or seen great evil and you, you wonder why. Maybe you've seen or had broken relationships, broken marriages, broken homes, conflict, betrayal. Maybe you've seen cancer destroy lives of of people you've loved or you have a chronic illness and your body's falling apart. Maybe you've lost your job or your home. Or maybe you've just seen in this world how there's lots and lots of evil. You've seen persecution on the news with, with fellow Christians being murdered or Maybe you've gone to a third world country and seen crippling poverty or horrible evil. 
We've maybe read about or even seen stuff involving human trafficking, even with children or, or seeing deep racism and, and the effects within individuals as, as well as society at large, and you wonder why. God, why is there so much evil, so much pain, so much suffering in this world? Throughout history, mankind has wrestled with this big question of why evil exists and why, as humans, we all experience pain and suffering in this life. And Christians aren't immune to this and have also asked this question as well. So if you're brand new to Hiawatha, this is your first uh, Sunday. This summer, we're in a new series called Big Questions. And we asked our church uh, this spring to send us big questions that they're wrestling with, whether it's theological questions, questions about the Bible, about us as a church, about faith, all these different things. And we've been preaching on them throughout this summer. And this is one of the big questions that we received. Questions about the problem of evil, which is the, but the theological name given to this theme. Why is there evil in this world? There's kind of two, two ways that this comes up. So the Bible speaks of God as being a good God, as being a loving God, a holy God, a perfect God, and at the same time also describes him as being all-powerful or being sovereign. But we also experience that we know that there's great evil and pain and suffering in this world. So the question that is often asked, and we were asked to preach on, is how, how can God be good and all-powerful? How can both of those things be true since there's evil, pain, and suffering in this world. Or another way you could say it is, is how could God allow suffering to happen? Before we jump into this, I, I want to say this is an incredibly important question, and I don't want to make light of it. We're going to start to answer this question and give some really good reasons, uh, really good answers to it, but we know that for people who are wrestling in it and who are going through pain and suffering, that these answers are not necessarily going to mean in a few minutes you're going to leave the room with, with warm fuzzies and, and flowers, uh, feeling like all your questions have been answered. We, we just want to uh, share that this is a very, very deep topic, a very tough question that people wrestle with. The Bible does give answers, and there are some really great answers, and we're going to unpack those today. But again, with, with, with such a big question, and this whole series has been tough because people ask really great questions, and you just can't fully answer them within a 45-minute uh, sermon. So we're just scratching the surface this morning. But the Bible does speak about God in those terms. He does, the Bible does speak about God as, as being a good God, as being a perfect God, a holy God, a righteous God. And God describes himself like that. It's all over the Bible, a few places. First Chronicles 16 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. AM 1-7 says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. In the New Testament, 1 Peter writes, speaking of God who's, who's called Christians, but as he, speaking of God, who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your con conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The Bible speaks of God as a good God, a holy God, a righteous God, and it also defines him as sovereign as being the creator of the universe and the ruler of it. He's ultimately in control and all-powerful. Jesus, John 19, this is when he's on trial. Chris uh, referenced this in last week's sermon. He's on trial, and Pilate, the ruler, is speaking to him, and, and Jesus is not answering any questions. And Pilate says, don't, don't you know that I have authority to release you or not? And Jesus finally responds, and he looks at him, and he says, 
you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. So Jesus is teaching Pilate here that, hey, even you as being a great ruler, a really powerful ruler, your authority is, is, is just a gift. It's been given to you. God is sovereign. God is the true ruler over everything. 1 Timothy 6.15 describes God as, as the ruler of all rulers and the only one who is sovereign. Starting in verse 15, he who is blessed, the only sovereign, and only sovereign, the king of kings, and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and and eternal dominion. So we've seen how God describes himself, and the Bible describes him as being good and all-powerful, being holy and sovereign, yet at the same time, evil and pain and suffering still exist. So this is what leads many people to think either, first of all, the Christian God, he can't exist because there's evil in the world. So if he's good and all-powerful, he would make it stop. So this God actually can't exist. And this would be argued from from the famous Calvin. Now some of you are thinking uh, John Calvin, but this Calvin here. So he says, get off the swing, Twinkie, and then Calvin says, forget it. Wait your turn, Mo, and he gets punched, and then he says, it's hard to be religious. It's hard to believe in God when certain people are never incinerated by bolts of lightning. <laughs> so that's funny, but the reason it's funny is because we all experience it. And, and for a lot of people, it's hard to believe in God because such evil exists. Because we think if he's God, if he's all-powerful, and he's good, he would make bad stuff like getting knocked off a swing or losing your child. He'd make that stuff not happen. So some people come to that conclusion, the Christian God just can't exist. Or other people say, well, if this God described in the Bible does exist, I'm not going to follow him. I'm not going to worship him because he's not good. He might be all-powerful, but I see all this evil in the world, and so he must not be good. I can't trust him. So we see that there's still evil in this world, and the world, as well as us as Christians, we ask why. Why is there evil in this world. God, if you are good, you all, if you are all-powerful, why don't you take that away? When God created the universe, he also created humanity as, as his pinnacle creation, as his greatest creation, and he made them in his likeness, in his image. They, they reflected God in, in ways that creation and animals and plants didn't. They were unique in that. And part of the way that they reflected their creator is that they were created for interpersonal relationships unlike the animals, unlike the ocean, unlike plants. And not only that, but they were given the ability to make choices, to have lots of freedom. And unlike animals and plants or the waves and planets, we are able to make decisions. We are not completely controlled by our instincts. We have much freedom. So God allowed humanity to choose whether or not they'd trust God, whether or not that they'd rely on him, whether or not they'd stay in relationship with him. He didn't force them to do any of that. And in doing so, he gave them the possibility of rejecting him. He gave them the possibility of rebelling against him, of leaving him, of not trusting him, and all the consequences that would come with that. So God, he let our first parents, Adam and Eve, he let them have a choice. And what did humanity do? It chose poorly. 
Anyone get that? Few people. I shared it with some young people this morning, and they're like, I, I don't even know what that is. But if you don't, it's from Indiana Jones. But anyway, our, our first parents, they chose poorly. They had paradise with God, and they chose the one thing that they weren't supposed to do. Theologically, that this term is called the fall. It's when humanity fell, when sin and death and pain and suffering and evil entered the world. Humanity rebelled against God, choosing to trust Satan instead of God, choosing to make themselves into gods instead of God. Instead of relying on him, they wanted to take matters into their own hands, and they chose to break their relationship with their creator, and all hell broke loose. The Bible calls this the fall. So in the beginning, in God's original creation, there was no evil. There was no suffering. There was no pain. We are the ones that let it in. The evil we see today is a result, a symptom of humanity's rebellion against God. We essentially opened Pandora's box where we told God that his perfect, painless paradise was not good enough for us and that we wanted more. We wanted to be our own gods. And evil, pain, and suffering are not part of God's design or his creation, but rather the antithesis of it. The destruction, pain, and hurt, the wickedness that we see and feel and experience was not how it was supposed to be. So when you're feeling like, this is, this is wrong, it's not supposed to be like this, God's saying, you're right, it wasn't. I didn't make it like this. I don't want it to be like this either. But rather, it's the consequence of humanity's rebellion against the freedom that God gave us. And for those of us here today who are Christians, when Jesus came into the world, he told his followers that they're also going to experience evil and pain and suffering. He expounded on this idea of life being hard, and he said, it's going to be especially hard for my followers. Not only should everyone expect this world to be corrupted and broken by sin, but Jesus promised his followers that they especially would have tough lives, full of times of suffering and even persecution, just like his life. John 15, he said, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. Later on in John, he says, I have said these things to you that, you, uh, that in me you may have peace, but in the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And finally, in Romans 8, speaking to the church, speaking to Christians, and if children, so he's starting with an argument saying, Christians, you are now adopted as children of God. So if you are children, then you're also heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So part of following Christ is following him in his sufferings, and our reward, our goal, our inheritance is the glory that we'll also receive with him when he comes back or, or, or when we die. So especially as Christians, we should be the people that understand that life is going to be tough. If our Savior went through suffering and pain and rejection and persecution, we are going to as well. We should, ex we should assume the same experience is going to be of us. So we started to answer this question. Maybe we even fully answered this question by these, by these three things that I just said. And they, they, they're biblical, they're true. They speak to our intellect, to our logic, to our head. But in the midst of deep suffering and pain or seeing horrible evil, sometimes these answers 
maybe don't feel like enough, or maybe feel like, it's true, God, I believe it, but you still feel so distant, and this is so hard. So even though these, these statements of God giving us freedom, letting us choose our rebellion, and, and Jesus telling his disciples life's going to be tough, even though these three things are, are, are important for us to know, God doesn't just leave it there. He doesn't just say, well, sorry, guys, I gave you paradise. I gave you perfection, and you wanted more. Now you're stuck in your consequences. You want it, and I gave it to you, so I'm kind of washing my hands of this. But instead, our God tells us three important things. He tells us three things that don't just speak to our intellect, to our head, to our logic, but he also speaks things that are spoken deeply to our heart, to our emotions, to our soul. He tells us three things that are especially powerful in the midst of suffering and pain. He tells us that he will use that pain, that evil, that suffering for good. He's not going to waste it, and he's actually, in his sovereignty, in his power, he's going to make good come out of it, especially for those who believe. He also tells us that he's not a distant God who doesn't know anything about our pain or suffering or trials or evil, but he said that he is a God who will enter into that evil and that pain and that suffering alongside you. He will feel the weight, despair, and destruction with you. He won't be a God who is distant, angry, and unsympathetic. Through my pain and suffering, he tells us, in your place, I will actually begin to destroy evil, pain, and suffering, these great enemies of yours. And through that, I will make a way back to how it was meant to be, back to the garden, back to paradise, back to being reunited with me. And thirdly, God speaks to our hearts and reminds us that this world, this life, it's not the end. That there is hope. We do have a future hope in Christ. So let's unpack these three. First, God tells us evil, pain, and suffering are used by God for good. They're still evil. They're still wrong. They're still bad. They still break God's heart. But he doesn't waste that. And his sovereignty and his goodness uses that for good. Ultimately, we see this in the cross, and we'll get to there in a second. Romans 8.28 says, For we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purposes. So we know that for Christians, God promises us. We might not see it, but he's going to use all things, including suffering, including pain, for our ultimate good. We, we might not see it. For Amy and I, we're just barely, dimly, in small ways, starting to see God bringing out some good from us losing our child. Very slowly, we're starting to see some, some redemption within it or how he's uh, graciously and lovingly give us some, some good out of it. We're now pregnant again, and we very, very much appreciate uh, this new baby God has given us, as well as our family. We're drawn closer to each other as a family and as a couple, as well as to our church family going through such uh, great pain and, and, and sadness. And we're even, in small ways, have, have begun to see how God has used our story for us to be able to relate with others who are going through suffering or who have also had miscarriages themselves. And so even though we wish it didn't happen, it still was evil. God is starting to bring some redemption out of it. He's starting to make this evil, uh, starting to bring some good out of it. So evil, pain, and suffering are used by God for good. There's this story towards the beginning of the Bible 
There's this guy named Joseph. Uh, you maybe have heard of him. I think they made a musical about his life. Um, so anyway, Joseph, uh, his father really loved him more than all of his other siblings. He, he makes him this, this really uh, beautiful technicolor dream coat, and his brothers hate him for it. They're jealous, and they actually kidnap him. They, they uh, throw him in a pit. They rip off this cloak. They put blood on it, and they say, Father, uh, Joseph, he must have been killed. He must have been eaten by a wild animal. And then they sell their brother into slavery. So horrible, horrible evil happened to Joseph. He loses a huge chunk of his life. He's a slave, but God's not done with him. God has a plan, even amidst great, great, great evil and pain and suffering. God actually uh, makes Joseph second in command. He goes from being a slave and, and in prison to second in command just under Pharaoh. God gives him wisdom, and Joseph has uh, a, a vision. He knows that there's going to be a great drought. He uh, has Egypt store up lots and lots of food so that they can survive this drought. And when, when this comes through, when this famine comes through, uh, Joseph's family, who's not in Egypt, they have to come to Egypt to buy food or else they're going to starve to death. And they're face to face with Joseph. And Joseph says, hey, I'm your brother. I'm the one that you sold into slavery, the one that you tried to kill, the one that you uh, stole my life from. And this is how Joseph responds to his brothers. He says, as for you, speaking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And so it's still called evil, it's still wrong, it's still bad, but our sovereign God takes evil things and he brings good out of them. He doesn't waste our pain, he uses it for ours and for others' good, even when we cannot see it. So for years and years and decades, Joseph was wondering, God, where are you? Why did you let such great evil happen to him? In Genesis 50, 20, he finally gets it. He finally understands that many people are, are now saved, literally saved by having food because God brought goodness out of this great evil. So again, this doesn't mean that this isn't evil or that the pain and suffering isn't legit, but rather our God is a God who redeems, who resurrects, who recreates, and reconciles. Another way that we see all the time how pain and suffering can actually be used for good in the end is by remembering that God calls himself a father. Christians understand pain and suffering by looking to God as a perfect father, a loving father, a heavenly father. That's my son I was talking about, uh, Charlie. He's He's a two-year-old, and absolutely love him. I just think about my relationship with him as I'm wrestling with this, this idea of pain and, and evil and suffering. So there might be an instance where he runs out into the street, and I grab his arm, and I yank him back and actually hurt him in the process, or maybe I yell at him not to run out in the streets, and I actually really hurt his feelings. But most people would say, hey, that's actually a good thing. That little bit of pain he went through was for an ultimate good. So understanding that can help us understand how God can use pain, bad situations, in order to bring about good. But think about discipline. He does not like putting his toys away or going to take his nap or eating vegetables. But I make him go through some suffering, some suffering, sure seems like suffering for him, because I know it's what's best for him. I know choking down those vegetables is actually going to be a good thing for him in the long run. Or finally, maybe something that's, that's even more extreme, I actually inflict pain on him on purpose or, or a, 
as an example, take him to the doctor and he needs to get his vaccinations. He needs to get his shots. I literally, actually I don't do this. Amy usually does this because I, I just can't stand it. But we literally <laughs> have to hold your child down while a nurse gives them a shot. And he's looking at you in the eyes, just bawling, saying, why, why are you doing this? Why are you inflicting me with this pain? Why are you not rescuing me? And it breaks our hearts and we tear up. And, but just like with God, as a good father, he knows that a, that a small bit of, of pain and suffering actually can be used for greater good. So if we see that in human relationships, we can understand how it can be true with God. So God is a father, and he calls himself a father, and that helps us understand a bit more why he might allow us to go through pain, or why, or why he might, even in some instances, mean us to go through pain, just like he did with Joseph, just like Amy does when she holds Charlie down when he has to get his shots. And just like I lament that we live in a world where uh, a kid might run into the street and get hit by a car or live in a world where kids need vaccines or else they might die of horrible diseases or in a world where my child has uh, a rebellious sin nature, just as I lament this world that we're in and, and, and it breaks my heart that he has to go through pain, we can know that even more so, God also laments and he's also sad of the world that we've created and, and that we have to go through pain as well. And then finally, the third way, that the greatest way that we see God use evil and pain and suffering to bring about great good is the cross, the most important way. So just like Joseph, Jesus was also betrayed by those he loved. He went through incredible pain, suffering, and torture. But what Satan and men meant for evil, God meant it for good, to bring about that many people might also be alive. Our God is a God of redemption. He redeemed suffering. At the cross, God took the most horrific and evil and unjust thing that has ever happened and made it into the most beautiful, glorious good the world has ever seen, something that Christians celebrate. What the enemy wanted to use for destruction, death and slavery and oppression, God used for the greatest joy and blessing that humanity could ever receive. The Gospel of Transformation Bible comments on this. They say the Christian life is paradoxical because it's built upon the ultimate paradox, the death of Christ, where perfect divinity and beauty was horribly killed. Through that tragedy, life for sinners blossomed. We are comforted because of his affliction, accepted because of his rejection. We live because he died. All right. Second way our God speaks to us in the midst of suffering and evil, he tells us that he is a loving God and a sympathetic God. He's not distant, but rather he is one who understands what we're going through and has actually gone through the worst evil this world has ever seen and chose to do it because he loves us. For Amy and I, as, as we were going through this, what was comforting for us in, in knowing this truth that we have a sympathetic and loving God was to know that our, our God, he also lost his son. He also lost a child. He's sympathetic in that. And it wasn't just he lost it, but he chose to give up that child because he loved us so much. So Jesus tells us that he is a sympathetic God. When he was here on the earth, especially uh, around his betrayal and trial and, and torture and crucifixion, he didn't just play his God card. He didn't just say, okay, it's about to get tough. 
pain and suffering are coming. Okay, I'm going to play my God card, or I'm going to push my button, and now I don't feel anything anymore. I just revert to full divinity or something like that. But we see that he chose to enter that. He chose to enter into pain and suffering and betrayal. He was sweating blood. He asked God the Father if there's any other way that he could get out of this, any other way that God's mission could happen besides the cross. He wanted out because of the great pain and suffering that he was about to do, the relational pain, the betrayal, the separation from God, but ultimately said, God, your will be done. And he even described uh, in the gospel, it describes as Jesus being in so much agony that his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And he went through the worst suffering and anguish and pain that the world has ever seen because of his love for you. Because he wanted to reverse the curse. He went through hell so that you wouldn't have to experience it. Tim Keller unpacks that. He says, Jesus lost all his glory so that we could be clothed in it. He was shut out so that we could get access. He was bound and nailed so that we could be free. He was cast out so that we could approach. And Jesus took away the only kind of suffering that can really destroy you that is being cast away from God. He took so that now all suffering that comes into your life will only make you great. Hebrews 4 also unpacks this, speaking of, of Jesus as our great high priest. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Yet let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we have a sympathetic God, a God who understands what we're going through, what we are going through, what we will go through, and he has done it himself as well. He says that we can come to him now to find mercy and grace in time of need. And finally, we know that God is a, a sympathetic and loving God because he didn't just leave us. He didn't just say, okay, I did my mission. I went through great, horrible, and evil and suffering on the cross. I'm going back to God the Father. Good luck, guys, until I come back, my second coming. But when he left, he said, I'm not only going to not leave you alone. I'm going to send my spirit to empower you, and I'm also going to leave my, my physical rep representation of my body here on earth. I'm going to create a church, a community that you can go through this tough life together. So practically this means church, as, as we enter, or as people are going through suffering and pain and experiencing great evil as a church, as a spiritual family, we enter into each other's pain and suffering. We, we serve, we listen to each other, we sympathize, we mourn with people, we grieve with them, we give, and we care for those as a representation of, of, of Jesus doing that for them as well. So Jesus reminds us that he will use evil and pain and suffering for good, that he's a God that will enter into our pain and evil alongside us. And finally, he reminds us that this world is not the end. This life is not the end. And he says to his followers, we have a future hope. And for Amy and I, we, we have a hope. We have a hope that we'll see our child someday. We don't just know that God used that situation for good in our lives and other people's lives. And we don't just know that God is also sad with us, and he can also sympathize with us. But we also have a hope. We also have a hope that one day we will see the child that we lost. 
Jesus' victory on the cross over evil, pain, suffering, and even death will come in fully when he returns. And for Christians, there is an end to pain. There is an end to suffering and evil. Revelation 21 speaks of this, speaking of Jesus when he comes back. He, Jesus, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Also in the New Testament, the the Apostle Paul, he's writing to a bunch of churches, and many of these churches that he's writing to are going through great suffering. They're going through evil. They're going through persecution. And what he does is he reminds these churches of the hope that they have in Christ, the future that they have. 2 Corinthians 4, he's writing to this church that's that's, uh, struggling, and he says, so we don't lose heart. Even though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So Paul tells these churches that are suffering, that are going through persecution, that are going through great pain, he tells them, remember that this is just a light, momentary affliction that will lead us into an eternal weight or eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So that might be great hope for some of you. So for some of you, you might say, well, what I'm going through or what I've seen or what I'm going to go through, it's not light and it's not momentary. What, what's Paul saying here? Why is he making light of the great suffering I'm going through? And if you read a lot of the New Testament, this is the same guy that went through great, great pain and suffering. The guy who was shipwrecked, the guy who was beaten to the point of death, many times, stoned, shipwrecked, bitten by poisonous snakes, uh, and, and has just a great heart and a great pain for, and a love for all the churches that he's planted as well. So this is a guy who's gone through some horrible, horrible pain and suffering and seen great evil. And when he focuses on eternity, when he, when he focuses on the hope of, of Christ returning and the new heavens and the new earth, he can write that this right now is just a light, momentary affliction in comparison with eternity. And he also gives us freedom. He gives us freedom and tells us, church, Christian, it's okay that you're longing for eternity. It's okay that you're longing for heaven because you have a broken body, you're in, you have chronic pain, you're going through great illnesses, or you're seeing evil all around you, or there's broken relationships, you're being betrayed, all these different things. He gives us permission to long for Christ to return and to long for the new heavens and the new earth. We're actually going to unpack that, the resurrection and the new heavens and the new earth, next week. So I'm not going to really get into that. It's kind of a teaser as well. But So in conclusion, as we, as we uh, leave today, a few things I want us to remember. First one, know that pain and suffering will come. Know that pain and suffering will come. If you're not going through it right now, prepare for it. I know from experience and from talking to, to some of you, especially when you're young, you think you're invincible. You don't get health care. You do crazy stuff. You have, have just not had to deal with a lot of pain and suffering. Some of you, you haven't had to deal with death. You haven't had to deal with financial hardships, with, with people betraying you or broken relationships and things like that. So especially if you're young and you think, well, that's, 
kind of just theoretical, or all this pain and suffering and evil. That's like in different parts of the world. It's not here. It's not in my heart. It's not in my home. Know that it is going to come. Jesus promised it. The Bible says that it's going to come, so, so prepare well for it now. Know that pain and suffering will come. And then remember some things as, as we prepare for it, as we know it, or especially as we're going through it. Know that we live in a fallen world and that it is this way because of our own making. Instead of being angry at God for not jumping in and taking away all of our pain and suffering and evil, know that we live in a fallen world and that's a consequence of our own rebellion. It's our fault. If we want to blame someone, we blame ourselves. We blame humanity. Also remember, or maybe believe for the first time if some of this is, is new for you, also remember that we have a God who knows our pain and our suffering and he will redeem it. He has entered into it and ultimately he will save us from it. Remember that we get a glimpse and a foretaste of paradise right now here on earth through the Spirit and through the church and know that this world is not the end but, but for those who have put their faith in Christ this world, this evil, this suffering, the pain that you're going through is the closest thing to hell that you will ever get if you are trusting in Christ. And finally, understand your pain and suffering by looking at the cross. The ultimate act of God defeating our enemies and bringing life out of death. So when we go through pain and suffering, when we see great evil, let us look to the cross we believe, we follow, we worship a God who takes the worst pain, the worst suffering, the greatest evil, the greatest injustice ever, and he made it into the foundation of salvation, the foundation of our faith. If he can do that, he can take your, your cancer, your loss of job, your, your broken relationship, the hurt that you're going through, and he can bring redemption out of that. He can bring good out of that. He can walk with you through that. Jesus went through hell so that you would have the opportunity to never experience that. He died in our place so that this world, filled with evil, pain, and suffering, would be the closest thing that would ever come to it. So today, for the first time or for the millionth time, accept his offer of salvation. Trust him as the true and the only remedy for the problem of evil. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you did not leave us to our own consequences of our rebellion against you. But God, instead, you entered it. You said, I'm going to go through even worse pain and evil and suffering than they've experienced in order that I may win them out of that, in order that I may save them from that and bring them back to relationship with me, bring them back to paradise, bring them back to the world I created. So God, we pray that when, not if, but when we go through pain and suffering and when we see horrible evil, that God, we would look to the cross and use that as a lens to see it, that our, our faith would be strengthened, that as a church we would take care of each other well, that we would suffer well, that we would go through pain well, that we wouldn't feel alone as individuals, but that we would feel uh, the church around us, that we would feel the body of Christ, the spirit of Christ around us as we go through pain and suffering and evil. God, we thank you that you are victorious over our great enemies, that we don't have to be afraid. We pray, God, that you would, your spirit, especially this week, would be with us as many of us uh, are experiencing that even right now. Pray this in your powerful, victorious name, Jesus.
Amen. All right, we're going to move into a time of uh, communion, the Lord's Supper now, as well as worship. And uh, the night before Jesus uh, was crucified, he took his disciples, and they were having a meal, and he took some bread, and he broke it, and he said, this is symbolic of my body that's going to be broken in just a few hours, broken for you so that you might have life. And then he took wine, and he poured it into a glass, and he said, this represents my poured out blood. My blood is going to be shed. I'm going to die on your behalf, ushering in a new covenant, a new way of relating to God. And so Christians throughout history have celebrated this table. It's a very somber thing, but we also celebrate as well. We celebrate that Jesus' body was broken, his blood was shed, so that evil, pain, and suffering would be destroyed. The way we practice uh, communion, the Lord's Supper, here at Hiawatha is uh, in just a few minutes. The band will come up. They will play a, a set of about five songs. And anytime during that set, uh, you can come down the center aisle, break off a piece of bread. We also have uh, gluten-free as well. And then pour yourself either a, a glass of, of juice or wine. The wine, they're all labeled here. The wine has the ribbon on it. And then there will be people up front for uh, that would love to pray with you. If you have any prayer requests, if you'd like to uh, just ask for a general blessing, you can pray. We'd love to pray for anyone and everyone who, who would like prayer as a part of their uh, worship this morning. And uh, you can take communion in the front row. You can bring it back to your seat. Um, or you can take it right to you at the table, whatever um, you would like. So, uh, I'm going to invite the band up, and, and I'll pray again. God, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that you, you know our hearts. You know we're such forgetful people. You know uh, that without remembering your death and resurrection that we would forget or would take it for granted. So we thank you for the Lord's Supper. We thank you for communion that we can uh, both somberly take it as well as celebrate it. Celebrate the, vic- the victory, the, the remedy for pain and suffering, the defeat of evil that is represented in uh, your death and resurrection, represented in uh, the Lord's Supper. Pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand as we worship together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 